Comics. Comics. Welcome to ORP, otherwise known as Omen Revelations Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Nunley. And I'm your co-host, uh, Steve Sellers. On ORP, we like to talk about geek stuff, pop culture, including movies and TV series, as well as comic books and comic characters. Uh, but that's not all, is it, Mike? No, it's not, Steve. We're also writers for Omen, Omen Comics and Revelation Comics. So we like to talk about both writing and our comics. So podcast and chill with us. Okay, today we're celebrating Justice League Day by talking all about its various incarnations and origins, uh, along with our favorite comics and shows. Uh, now, we can't talk about the Justice League without first mentioning their predecessors, the Justice Society of America. Uh, the JSA's first appearance in All-Star Comics number three in the winter of 1940-1941 makes it the very first superhero team in comics. Uh, that's that's a pretty monumental thing considering how many superhero teams came after. Um, it was DC editor Sheldon Mayer that uh, and writer Gardner Fox that came up with the idea for the JSA, but it was artist Everett E. Hippard that did both the cover uh, and the art for the JSA story in All-Star Comics number three. Now, the original members of the Justice Society of America were Jay Garrick as Flash, uh, Carter Hall as Hawkman, uh, Rex Tyler as Our Man, Jim Corrigan as the Spectre, Wesley Dodds as the Sandman, Kent Nelson as Dr. Fate, Alan Scott as the Green Lantern, and Al Pratt as the Atom. Yeah, I have to admit that I have a soft spot for the JSA because the first uh, comic I remember owning actually was an issue of uh, All-Star Squadron, which featured the JSA. But I don't think we can talk about the Justice League without mentioning the influence the JSA had on them because it was huge. Um, the JSA featured many of the same characters and including even members of the Trinity. I mean, we may not think about it now, uh, but back then Wonder Woman was originally their secretary. I mean, this was the 1940s. So, you know, that's just how things were back then. And uh, Superman and Batman uh, had roles on the Freaks Crisis JSA as well. Uh, of course, this was all wiped away uh, during uh, Crisis on Infinite Earths later on. And um, the JSA also featured a, a number of Golden Age versions of classic characters, uh, including Flash and Green Lantern, like you mentioned, and the Atom. Um, but, and, and finally, many Golden Age characters or their legacies would find their way onto the JLA. Um, if you know Black, Her uh, Black Canary, uh, Dinah Lance, uh, she's a second-generation heroine and the daughter of the original, Dinah Drake. Uh, Zatanna is the daughter of uh, Zatara, uh, another magician. Uh, and then you had new versions of Hawkman and, and Hawkwoman. Uh, yeah, so this was where you got uh, Katar Hull uh, that joined the League. Um, and, and though they would later basically be established as reincarnations of the original ones. And then, of course, you had, you know, Silver versions, Silver Age versions of uh, Green Lantern, uh, Flash, and the Atom uh, that were mainstays. Um, and... and and eventually the two teams would meet and they would find their own roles. And, and the JLA would be more about stopping the big threats. And uh, the JSA would be more about inspiring uh, the younger generation of heroes. Uh, you know, and we see that in shows like Stargirl. But uh, team-ups between the two groups would become a regular tradition every so often uh, after they first met in the Silver Age. Speaking of the Silver Age, um, DC Comics actually reinvented several Justice Society members, um, and Gardner uh, Fox banded many of them together uh, in a new reimagining of the JSA called the Justice League of America. That's that's where we actually got uh, the Justice League we're here to talk about. Now, the JLA made their first appearance in the Brave and the Bold number 28 in March of 1960. But check this out. Now, this, this, this doesn't happen very often. Now, bear in mind, Brave and the Bold number 28 came out in March of 1960. By November of that same year, they had their own title. That, that's impressive. It shows you how popular the title was. And I think 
one of the reasons it was so popular was uh, due to the fact that most people could only see one hero in their comic. Uh, this for this uh, for a Justice League title, uh, even with the with the JSA, you get the you get the thing of uh, you all your heroes in one title, and that was that was a huge uh, that was a huge deal back then. It's not as common as it is uh, today. But uh, since its early days, the Justice League's roster has rotated, uh, consisting of almost everyone in the DCU at one point or another, save for like the D-listers and below. Especially if you add the JLA appearances and its variations in films, television programs, and video games. Uh, but the team... Uh, originally consisted of Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, the new Silver Age Flash, Barry Allen, and the Silver Age Green Lantern, Hal Jordan, Arthur Curry as Aquaman, and of course, John Jones as Martian Manhunter. Uh, technically, I think my first exposure to the Justice League uh, was with an issue of the Superpowers comic where a lot of these characters were in. Um, and believe it or not, this was a book that was written and drawn by Jack Kirby. <laughs> and it was a tie-in to the Super Friends cartoon that I was airing at the time. Um, unfortunately, I was too young to appreciate Kirby at the time, uh, but it did get me to reading more DC. And actually, it's been recently reprinted not too long ago. Um, so this this book was what led me to briefly reading the JSA uh, JLA just prior to Crisis on Infinite Earths, um, though I didn't really get too deeply into the JLA until uh, later in life. Um, so I'll talk a bit about the history of the League uh, that I know of uh, from then up until the New 52. Um, and I will say, um, you know, talk, you're bringing up John Jones earlier on. Uh, one thing to keep in mind is that the Martian Manhunter was for many years the common factor in every incarnation of the League. Um, I would say like from the very beginning up until uh, the Brad Meltzer run uh, that came in, uh, uh, not too long before Flashpoint. And so because of this, um, I and I think many other people as well, uh, think of John Jones as the one indispensable member. I mean, he may be the most alien of them but he also embodies the spirit of the League. And it's the League that makes him more human, but the League also needs him uh, for his powers and his detective work and, and the things that he knows. So it's a really symbiotic relationship and it works really well. Oh, I couldn't agree more. John is absolutely essential to the heart of the League. Uh, I think that any incarnation of the Justice League without the Martian Manhunter in it is going to suffer for it. Absolutely. Um, I think uh, the JLA that a lot of older fans know um, is the one from not long before I started, which is where you had the Big Seven and like a lot of extra characters. So, you know, you basically had um, the Big Seven, but you also had uh, Green Arrow, Black Canary, Red Tornado, Zatanna, uh, Elongated Man, and, and characters like that. But at the time I came in, um, Firestorm was a recent addition, and, and I had read a solo book quite a bit at the time. Um, and Jerry Conway was the writer on that. And, and I remember really liking it. You know, <laughs> I read Firestorm myself as a kid. Uh, but the, the why I read Firestorm is kind of a funny story. Um, I mostly read Marvel as a child. And I first purchased the Firestorm, the Nuclear Man book, because I confused him with Marvel's Fire Lord, which I didn't find out about until later. But by then, I was hooked on the comic. Oh, very cool. Um, I did remember thinking that they looked similar at the time. Um, I remember Fire Lord showing up in an issue of the Roger Stern Avengers back uh, back in the day, but, which is funny is like, because the powers are that between the two are not the same at all, despite the fact that they're both fi fire-themed characters. It's, it's true. The characters are nothing alike. And honestly, even if I got confused by the fire theme, uh, one of the big aesthetic differences would be that Firestorm doesn't use a staff. I wish I could explain what I was thinking, but alas, I was a kid. Uh, that's my best excuse. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, we all have moments like that. Um, anyway, uh, a bit after I came in, uh, like speaking of childhood, uh, the JLA drifted into one of the least regarded periods, um, and, and I didn't know it at the time, um, which was the Detroit era of the Justice League. So uh, you basically had John Jones and a bunch of third stringers that nobody remembers today, um, which included Commander Steel, Gypsy, and Vibe, and who's only remembered today because he was retooled into Cisco Ramon on the CW Flash show. Um, I, I want to say that Aquaman occasionally was involved with them too, um, and, but not for very long, because I think this was around the time when his son was killed. 
but unfortunately, like this whole period wasn't very good, and it's usually considered a black mark today. But um, the, the, the dark came before the dawn, and in the mid-80s, you had one of my favorite runs on the Justice League ever. Uh, Jan Demetrius, uh, Keith Giffen, and Kevin McGuire came in around that point, and that whole period was gold. Uh, some people were regarded like, as the Bwahaha League because it was really uh, comedic in focus, um, but it had a lot of real heart between beneath the comedy, and it did have the big threats. And you know, it may not have been a traditional league like we see it today, but it was very, very well written. Um, and you had some really great characters from it, especially Blue Beetle, Booster Gold, uh, Guy Gardner, uh, and and you usually did have some of the classic mainstays as well, like John and Batman, uh, Black Canary, uh, and the original Captain Marvel. Um, and, you know, as mentioned, uh, that run gave us the great uh, Blue Beetle and Booster Gold friendship um, and made Guy Gardner this really complex character. And, and you got this classic moment where Batman one punches him out uh, and, and it's constantly being mean and it's great. Uh, but the context makes it even better. And uh, Fire and Ice uh, were also a good complement to the Be Beetle Booster duo. Um, also, and I will say this, and I know a lot of people know Max Lord from Identity Crisis and on, but I personally prefer the Max Lord of the Demetrius Giffen era uh, over the psychopath he became later. Um, and he showed actual character growth and real complexity. He, he actually became, you know, he had more of a heart and he was acting more human uh, over time. And you can definitely tell that he had changed. Um, and I, I think for me, I, I honestly prefer this run to personally even Grant Morrison's. Yes, I know this is sacrilege to some. Um, and, and I know that some people would take issue with that, but I just feel like uh, the characterization and the risk that it took and things like that uh, made, made it all uh, more worthwhile for me. So, think, but yeah. I think the, the Morrison run is so sacred because of the crappy Justice League that came before it. Yes, which I'm, I was about to get into, yeah. Yeah. Um, in, in the 90s, the JLA went back to being forgotten, and, and I think a lot of it was that they oversaturated with uh, spin-off titles, and um, a lot of the big teams like to do this. Um, I, and I personally didn't keep close track of what went on around that time. Um, I know that Jan Jurgens was involved with them around that one point, uh, around the death of Superman, I believe. And they had uh, different splinter teams that just didn't last. I mean, you got Justice League Antarctica, <laughs> for Christ's sake. And, 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 and all of this started with uh, Justice League Europe uh, at the end of the Demetrius Giffen era. But, you know, without them, um, these extra teams just gradually wore out their welcome. Uh, and by the mid-90s, the team really needed to shake up. And so they, they went to the one man who would give them one and then some, and that's Grant Morrison. Uh, and his run with uh, Howard Porter is probably the definitive run for many JLA fans. And I totally understand why. Uh, personally, I will admit that it wasn't as much for me, though I, I think he did the right thing in a lot of respects. Um, he went back to the basics. He brought together the classic Big Seven um, and modernized them a bit. And he made those characters a team. And, and at that time, that was, you know, Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, of course. Um, the Aquaman of that time was the Peter David version who had the hook for a hand. Um, actually, I really recommend that one. Um, Wally West as the Flash, and this was around the time when he was uh, under Mark Wade. Uh, Kyle Rayner as Green Lantern. Um, you know, at that time, he was a bit more controversial than he is today, but he grew into great character later. And uh, John Jones. And for me, that was absolutely the right place to start. Um, even if I wasn't as much of a fan of Kyle at the time, uh, and in fairness, uh, this run did help me turn around on him. He, he was definitely, uh, a lot of people will point to this run at the moment when the, where they really started liking Kyle Rayner. Um, and, and Morrison will, would eventually bring in a lot of other interesting characters as well. Uh, that He brought in uh, Steel, uh, Connor Hawk as Green Arrow, uh, Huntress, um, you know, Catwoman characters like that. And, and Morrison would also make big threats to the focus again. And he made all the villains in his run worthy of the league. You know, you've got, so he started off with the White Martians and he would bring in uh, Luthor and, and the new Injustice gang. You know, he'd bring in Darkseid, an army of angels, and, and he would top it all off with this titanic battle with a new god doomsday weapon named Megadon. Um, it's just big, crazy ideas all the time and big, big threats all the time. And, and I, I, I see why people really like that. Um, I, I did have some reservations about that run at the time, though. And unfortunately, um, if I were to, to say, you know, to put the finger on when the Bat God stuff started, uh, when the idea of Batman being unbeatable started settling in, 
um, it would probably be with Morrison's JLA. And it's something that just that fan arguments are just uh, deal with to this day. Um, and I don't think necessarily he should be unbeatable. I mean, uh, I'm fine with Batman being smart and being able to deal with villains over his weight class. But I mean, he, every hero needs a space setback sometimes. And uh, Bat God just didn't. <laughs> I can see both sides of the argument to an extent. I mean, on the one hand, I like the idea of a, of the mind being the greatest weapon. Uh, I got that from Rambo. <laughs> and that if, if uh, given enough time, there is no obstacle that the mind cannot overcome. And I think that's something that even humanity has shown. Uh, you know, if we, we, we put our mind to it, eventually we accomplish it. Um, plus, there's... <sighs> As someone who does this himself, I totally get the idea of a person obsessing about every eventuality and dedicating a fair amount of his time to being prepared for those outcomes. Uh, I'm a meticulous planner, and that has been that has brought me a lot of success. So I can naturally understand someone of Batman's IQ and abilities having the same success on a much grander level. On the other hand, as a writer and a reader, this characteristic of his being unbeatable would get old. Uh, a person in life or in fiction without flaws has a slim chance of long-range likability. Uh, people think that it's all about the things you like about someone, but that is only what attracts us to a character. Uh, what endears us to them is their flaws, their weaknesses, the, thing that make, the things that make them human. Um, for this reason, Batman should never be unbeatable. Uh, but I will go as far as saying that uh, it should take a great mind to beat him and uh, a powerful body to beat his physical prowess. Uh, that is why Nightfall will always be the ultimate Batman story for me. Uh, Bane broke everything about Batman, and Batman had to fight his way back up, rebuilding himself internally and externally. Uh, I think we're basically in agreement on this point. I just think that there needs to be a balance between the two approaches. Um, I, I really want to see a Batman who gets back down occasionally, but that's because I want to see him get back up and rise again. Um, my problem is really with the idea that Batman or any character should never lose ever. Um, there's just nothing interesting about that to me. I, I see Batman's specialty as being the guy who takes hits better than anybody, learns from his setbacks, and then finds a way to win in the end. And I would say that Nightfall is a great example uh, of how that works. Um, but I will say that Morrison, the Morrison run was very plot-focused um, and not very character-focused, which is kind of why he did that. Um, and for me, I'm kind of more interested in characters than I am in plot. And I think that, um, you know, Morrison, for all he did, a lot of really great things. Uh, I think he sometimes tried to fit in, force fit in ideas that sounded cool in his head, but didn't work so well in practice. Um, he was trying to connect the idea of, like, all the Justice Leaguers to uh, Greek mythological gods. And uh, the idea sounded cool on paper, but I think the one-on-one the -on -one connections were a bit flimsy to me. But I, I can't deny that Morrison left the, the League in a much better place than when he found it. And it sustained the books for um, many years until the reboot. Um, now, personally, I was more of a fan of the Mark Wade run that came after Morrison left because I felt like it refined a lot of the ideas that Morrison brought in and executed them better for me personally. Um, the first arc that, that, that Wade did was a big one called Ta Tower of Babel, which was also drawn by Howard Porter. Um, and the idea behind it is that Rachel Ghoul takes advantage of Batman's emergency protocols, you know, which, where he exploits all the League's weaknesses and uses them against the JLA. And it's really, really great stuff. Um, and after that, um, you, you get uh, Brian Hitch came in as the series artist, and you got some really amazing stories, and they also look really, really beautiful. So you would get the introduction to the Queen of Fables. Um, Gail Simona worked with Wade a bit on, on that particular story. Uh, he, I would say she's very much her co-creator. That the same and Queen of Fables that's in the Harley Quinn cartoon? Yes, but very different. Um, I, I really like the comic book version a, a, a lot more, uh, much, much more deadly. But the idea basically is the same. Um, okay. and, you, and you also saw the return of the White Martians, uh, the Hyper Clan. Uh, so I actually love that White Martian story because it actually takes advantage of the fact that a lot of these characters all have super speed. So you have all these characters using super, they're actually using the super speed that they normally have uh, against each other. and was really, really good. Um, so, but so for yeah, for me, the, the the Wade run took the Morrison setup, but I think it executed everything much better. And the and the Hitch art is absolutely beautiful to look at. Um, this was like right after he came in um, off of the Authority, and it was really really good.
Um, after that, though, um, I don't think the JLA quite hit the same heights. Um, there were good moments here and there, um, and you had some memorable uh, periods as well. So uh, there was actually one point where Chris Claremont and John Byrne came back to do an arc together. Um, it wasn't really that great, but it was nice to see them uh, put aside their long feud uh, to work together on something, and it was, and, and it was cool to see, to see that. Uh, Kurt Busiek, um, I think, had a pretty decent run. Um, he came in to do a short run after JLA Avengers. And in fact, I think that probably uh, is what kind of got him the gig. Um, and it's actually not too bad at all. Uh, it mainly deals with Quard, uh, the, the, the crime syndicate. And I think there was uh, some connection to the Cronus stuff that he had set up uh, in JLA Avengers. Um, and then uh, after that, I believe uh, Joe Kelly had a lengthy run as well. Uh, if you know Joe Kelly from Deadpool and uh, whatever happened to Truth, Justice, and the American Way, uh, that's that, that Joe Kelly. Uh, so he had a run as well. Um, and, and while I didn't follow it that much, uh, I, there were some really interesting idea, like the idea of an Aztec character who had an armor that ran on human sacrifice. I'm like, that is just one of the most effed up ideas. And it was, it was really cool. I got to give him that. Um, and I believe that, it, that totally sounds like an Omenverse thing. Yes, it does. Yes, it does. I, I really love it. Um, and yeah, and he also, yeah, and then of course, uh, he also in, involved the elite in his run as well because uh, he was the creator of them. Um, but I would say for me, um, my high points are uh, during the post crisis era. Um, are there any JLA stories from that time that uh, hit the mark for you? Uh, well, I, I took a long hiatus from comics, but uh, for a while there, so I didn't jump on till about 2004. Uh, so the JLA run had been going for a little while by then. Uh, but, uh, you know, in 11 years, I, I missed a whole lot, a whole lot. But however, uh, 2004 was an awesome time to jump on. Uh, there was Green Lantern Rebirth, uh, Infinite Crisis, uh, Grant, Morris's, Grant Morrison on Batman. I, I could go on and on. But since we're here to talk about the Justice League, uh, one of the first stories I read, which really blew me away, was uh, JLA Crisis of Conscience and Identity Crisis, which I consider to be one story. Uh, they were doing a lot of dark stuff when I got out of comics in 1993, and I remember loving it, but the that story is is dark and twisted like nothing I had read before in comics. With Sue Dibney getting raped by Dr. Light, uh, then killed because of uh, Gene Loring's psycho crap, Zatanna's mind-wiping of Dr. Light to the point of altering his personality before sending him to prison, and then... And then mind wiping batman because he he disapproved of the whole thing not that batman was innocent in the whole thing either with his brother eyes satellite <laughs> yeah uh I, I will say i have mixed feelings about identity crisis and i probably always will but it could just be that you know i kind of started a lot earlier and i kind of read consistently through it um i i will give credit to brad Meltzer. i mean i think he's a good writer i, I don't want to take anything away from him um, and there's no question that that story shook things up and made things interesting for a while. I mean, it woke people up. I mean, you got to give him credit for that. Uh, there are also some really effective moments like the, the Deathstroke fight in the middle of that. There was some really good uh, fight between Deathstroke and the JLA, and he, he gets the upper hand on them for a while. Uh, and, and at the same time, though, uh, this is the kind of DC story I tend not to like very much. Um, and because it's the kind that tends to break the characters down rather than build them up. Um, I, I don't really like that DC at the time really had a tendency to darken the Giffen League era characters for deconstruction, um, in this case, the Dibneys. Um, and, and as a short-term story, I will say that I get it, but the long-term consequences still kind of bother me to this day. I guess the big difference there uh, between us is exposure. Um, I had not seen deconstructionism like you had, and I liked the, that the judging camera was finally on the heroes instead of being all about the villains. It had a real feel of reality to it. Yeah, I would say that's more than likely the case. Um, I had been writing a lot of comics through the late 90s and in the early 2000s, and um, while I definitely had my grim and gritty phase, um, it was more like around the early 90s, uh, and by then I had grown tired of the grim and gritty trend by that point. Um, I, I think earlier runs like Morrison's and Ways uh, showed that you could have storytelling in the classic style and bring a level of modern sophistication to the Justice League. Um, 
Oddly enough, though, I, I will say that Brad Meltzer himself did a run like this later when he took over the main JLA book. Um, this was probably the best remembered run uh, before Flashpoint um, was the one by Meltzer. And this came out after Identity Crisis. Um, I don't remember like exactly how long later, but I know Identity Crisis set it, set it up for him to take over the book. Um, I would say it was largely pretty solid and it had a pretty good team. Um, it, um, Aside from like the lack of John Jones, I mean, you had like most of the mainstays. You had Hal Jordan back. You had uh, Red Tornado, and you had Vixen. I mean, you know, you you had plenty of really really great characters. Uh, Roy Harper was a member of that version of the league, and I'm always happy to see the Titans uh, grow up a little, and he certainly did in that run. Um, and and he and also he brought in a more intelligent version of Solomon Grundy, uh, basically establishing that he changes every time he dies. Uh, and he comes back a bit different. And he came back smarter, which I thought was a really, really interesting idea. Um, but I, I will say that um, while I like what we got at the time that we had it, I, I got the impression that Meltzer really needed longer on the book to have a real pack impact on it. Um, and I don't think he really had the time on it. Um, it was a relatively short run. Um, and it was a book that got involved in crossovers uh, towards the end, especially uh, a Legion of Superheroes related one with Jeff Johns called The Lightning Saga. Um, so while I liked it, it, yeah, it wasn't as good as, as I felt it could have been and what Meltzer I think is capable of. Um, uh, beyond that, I will say that there were other bright spots around that time. Um, there was a book called JLA Confidential that featured stories from classic teams. So Grant Morrison came back and did a, a short story with a, a group called the Ultramarines. But my favorite side series at the time was the return of Demetrius Giffen and, and, and Kevin McGuire on the JLI, JLI characters. Um, and they ra laughingly referred to them as the Super Buddies, which was, you know, obviously a knock on the Super Friends. Um, Booter, Booster and Beetle and Max Lord were front and center and all this, but they also brought in Dibney, the Dibneys, uh, Captain Adam and Mary Marvel. Uh, they did uh, two six-issue minis, which was uh, formerly known as the Justice League. And I can't believe it's not the Justice League where they brought back a fire, ice, and guy. Uh, it was a really, really great run. Um, it was really funny. And with the kind of heart that the JLI used to have and, and some of the former villains like uh, MangaCon. Um, and what's heartbreaking with it is, is that they followed it with Infinite Crisis, with, which killed Ted and turned Lord into a psycho. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, but that, that was the last time I would say I, I really kept up with Justice League until the reboot, as far as I can remember. Uh, Morrison, though, revitalized the team for a very long time. And, and I think that uh, towards the end, uh, the goodwill he built had burnt out and something new was needed. So this, this may be why the, the part of the reason why the line was rebooted at that time. Uh, that's, that's certainly possible. Uh, the next, the next Justice League I really got into, uh, wasn't until the new 52 and I should correct myself. It was actually Justice Leagues. Uh, there's the main Justice League, uh, which consisted of Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, Aquaman, Barry Allen as the Flash, uh, Hal Jordan as a Green Lantern and Cyborg replaced Martian Manhunter as a founding member. Member. I can talk really. Uh, one of the standout stories from that series has to be the Throne of Atlantis story, where we got our first big healthy dose of Atlantis culture and racist beliefs as the surface-hating Atlanteans attack the surface, and Aquaman has to call on the Justice League to save San Diego while he confronts Orm, a.k.a. the Ocean Master, and takes back his throne. Uh, between the Trenchers, which are terrible flesh-eating monsters, uh, fishmen kind of thing and the flooding uh let's not forget the atlantean army the justice league has their hands full on this one uh by this third uh volume the justice league roster has grown to include firestorm black lightning hawkman black canary vixen element woman and others to fight the atlantean threat uh, but there was that, like I said, this there was Justice Leagues back then, and uh, there was also Justice League International, uh, Justice League of America. Uh, there was a Justice League United, and one of my personal favorites, Justice League Dark. Now, Justice League Dark had several good stories in it, if you ask me. But for the sake of brevity, I will talk about two. Uh, the first of which uh, is the story that formed the J JLD to begin with. Uh, it's their in-the-dark story. 
Now, uh, Enchantress has gone out of control with her magic, and it's creating havoc across the entire Earth. Um, now, this is something that the Justice League cannot handle. They, they're just not equipped to deal with a magical threat on this level. So, Clairvoyant Madame Xanadu, a highly underrated character in my opinion, has foreseen that the only way to stop the Enchantress magical threat is by assembling a team of magical heroes. To this end, she gathers Zatanna, Shade the Changing Man, Constantine, and Dead Man. Uh, while the threat is real and intense all on its own, the real joy of this book is seeing the reluctant Motley crew try to get along enough to save the world. Um, now, the second story uh, is a two-part, five-title crossover. Uh, uh, now, the first part of it is the, the Trinity War, where uh, the Justice League, Justice League of America, and Justice League Dark, uh, Pandora and the Phantom Stranger, are all battling out over Pandora's box, uh, which was an amazing and very fun event I would recommend to any reader, uh, especially if, like me, you love John Constantine. Um, but I only bring this up because that event led to the Forever Evil event where Justice League Dark battled Blight, uh, one of the greatest uh, Justice League Dark stories, period. Uh, the darkness that is within all humanity on some level has grown so powerful that it actually has taken on a form and possessed an innocent child. Uh, we learn that uh, John, Zatanna, and uh, Nick, who turns out to be one of the bad guys in the story, had this love triangle. And uh, John now has, uh, when Zatanna gets taken, uh, John now has to find uh, form a form of a new Justice League Dark to rescue Zatanna uh, and the other members of the old Justice League Dark. Uh, they did a similar story in the Justice League Dark animated movie, which I also highly recommend. Uh, this is uh, the JLD story, but uh, really it's a, it's, it's a Constantine story that, that goes clear to his core. Uh, the big culmination for those titles was, of course, uh, the Dark Side War, which, of course, uh, with Convergence, started the road to DC Rebirth, which, unfortunately, I'm, I'm just starting. So uh, why don't you pick up the reins on that one, Steve, and tell us a bit about the more modern Justice League. Yeah, uh, you read much more of it. I did. I must admit. I, I will say though that I really did like what I've read of Justice League Dark. I think I read the Milligan run maybe a little bit after that, and that was some pretty good stuff. So I'm, I'm with you on those on that stuff. Um, as for the main jail book, um, I gave the first arc with Dark Side a chance. Um, on, on paper, Jeff Johns and Jim Lee really should have been a dream team. In, in practice, though, I was kind of underwhelmed. Unfortunately, um, I feel like the book the book really looked great uh, visually, but the run didn't kind of click with me as much as it should have, and I didn't stick it out. Um, and I think there were a couple of reasons for that. Um, I think I really had a problem with taking out the Martian Manhunter and replacing him with Cyborg. Now, um, in fairness, I did not have a problem with adding Cyborg to the league. I want to make that clear right now. Um, I think there could have been a great story with Cyborg as the new guy proving himself to the world's greatest heroes. And you kind of do see a little bit of that in Justice League Doom. Um, I, I wanted very much to see that in the comics, though. Um, and my but my problem was more with removing John and his historical significance to the team and then putting Cyborg in his place from the start of the new continuity. Um, I, I felt like it did a disservice to both of them. Um, for John, I think it takes away a huge part of who that character is because he's defined by his relationship with the league. And I was very, very happy that Scott Snyder and Christopher Priest later corrected that problem. Um, for Victor, I, I feel like it took away his history with the Teen Titans, which I think takes away something from him. And then they try to force fit him into a role that he hadn't really earned at that point. Um, he did later, but at that point he hadn't. Um, even today, though, it, it just seems like DC really likes putting Vic on every single team in the world except for the Titans. And I don't get it because those friendships that he has with those characters are such a key part of who he became and why uh, he's uh, such a beloved character. Um, but I, I would say beyond that, I think it was just not for me. Um, and, and I think the, the stories just weren't clicking for some reason. Maybe it just I just wasn't the audience for it. Um, I just lost interest around that time. Um, it really didn't help that I really do not like New 52 Shazam um, because I'm a huge fan of like the classic version. And I just I just thought that Jeff Johns made a lot of really bad choices with that character. Um, and I just feel like every time Jeff Johns handles him, it's just such a different character that I can't connect to him. Um, and he was a big part of both the backups um, and just 
Justice League at the time, as well as being on the New 52 team at various points. So, yeah, between those things and just general disinterest, I kind of tuned out of the Jeff Johns run. But I know a lot of people really did like it. And, and, and it's not like there's some really great ideas. I will say that I like the Jeff Johns Aquaman run. So the Throne of Atlantis stuff, I will say, interesting, um, to be fair. Um, I'll also mention that while Justice League has not been that standout uh, to me, I think, since the reboot, uh, Rebirth in the later runs, I think, brought the team more in line with what they were pre-Flashpoint. Um, the the pre-Christopher uh, Priest one was one that I enjoyed a lot, um, partly because it ties in with his Deathstroke run at the end, and his Deathstroke run is awesome. Um, the, the main villain of that particular story, or at least towards the end, um, is an evil Black Panther analog called the Red Lion. And when you consider that Christopher Priest wrote the best run ever on Black Panther, uh, the fact that he created a pastiche of his own character, I think is, is one of the most awesome things ever. Um, and then Scott Snyder came in and, and kind of rebooted the, the, the series. And, and I think he deserves credit for at least resetting the team uh, back to its roots, uh, bringing John back uh, to where he was. And then bringing in influence from the DC uh, Animated Universe League. Uh, so he brought in Hawkgirl and, and things like that. Um, and Jon Stewart as Green Lantern, all those things. But mostly, I would say modern JLA runs tend to be solid without making a lot of waves. Um, there, there was one run by Robert Benditti that wasn't too bad, and, and, but, but it was kind of like that. Um, and finally, I will recommend uh, recently, in terms of recent stuff, I would say Justice League Last Ride by Jip Zdarsky. Um, and that's pretty enjoyable. Basically, they are escorting Lobo uh, while he's being hunted by Darkseid. And it's quite interesting. That does sound interesting. Uh, <laughs> I really want to read that now. Um, well, that, that about catch, catches us up with uh, the comics. But um, I want to talk about animation for a minute. Um, now, super. there was a super campy super friends cartoon that ran from 73 to 86 and that served as an introduction to the characters uh for many kids uh including myself uh it was it was good back in the day like i don't know i was too young to notice how crappy of a show it was but like many of those cartoons from that time period it just does not hold up yeah, animation has gotten so much better since then. I think that's part of the reason why. Um, Super Friends is one of those shows also that people tend to laugh at now, unfortunately, but it was the closest thing to a Justice League show that we got until the DC Animated Universe version. Um, and it could be pretty goofy on occasion, and it led to some really good comedic takes. Um, there was this guy who called himself Sean Baby, and he did a whole website that was full of hilarious takedowns of these characters. And in fact, I think that they were so good that it got him a job working at Crack Magazine. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it, a lot of the stuff was like basically made to make fun of it. Um, that said, I don't think that Aquaman will ever recover from being on Super Friends, since this is where he started being unfairly treated as a joke. Um, I think Jeff Johns and Peter David did a lot to fix that, but unfortunately, you know, he, th this is always going to stick with him. Um, I'll also admit not to being a fan of the Wonder Twins. Um, I'm sorry, but even as a kid, I just never got into the kid-friendly characters like them. Uh, they just didn't click to me at all. Uh, but and I know there are people who love them, but still. Um, there are just things, there are things I loved, liked about is the Super Friends. I, I like the, the idea of the Legion of Doom. I like the awesome looking swamp face that they had. It was just really creepy. Um, right. and, and I it was, it was basically like the face of Darth Vader four yeah. times in a circle in a swamp. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And there was also like an octopoy type of look that it had too. And that really, really worked. Um, and, and the show also, I will say, took Darkseid pretty seriously. I mean, that just shows what a powerful character he is, that he was a convincing villain, even on that show. Um, Super Friends really was far from being the ideal JLA show in a lot of ways. And, and yeah, I agree, it doesn't hold up uh, nearly as well. But I can't hate it either. It's just too part of, uh, much of a part of my childhood to really hate. See, I don't get that at all. There's lots of parts of my childhood that I hate. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, I'm going to say the really good 
Justice League cartoons, in, in my opinion, didn't show up until the Justice League uh, series, and it's even better sequel to Justice League Unlimited, uh, which together ran from 2001 to 2006. Now, both of these series are flat out amazing. I have watched them both many times now. Uh, there's a lot of great episodes, especially in Justice League Unlimited. Uh, it was great having the whole DCU uh, opened up for stories. Uh, a shining example uh, of this has to be the question. Uh, he's a favorite character of mine and, and, and is in great part because of his spotlight. The spotlight shined on him in Justice League Unlimited. Uh, there was another one I haven't seen uh, I couldn't find streaming anywhere, though. Uh, the Justice League action show uh, ran from 2016 to 2018. Uh, yeah, I, I, I agree with you on the question. That's a great character. Uh, absolutely love him. Um, Justice League and JLU, I, I think we're both really good. And I think it's a textbook example of how the Justice League should be handled. Uh, the, light, the lineup was different um, from what you saw in the comics while working as it should. And there were some really good stories in there. I mean, everything was iconic. Um, the Injustice Gang was always a really great, consistent threat. And the show really found really good enemies for the League to handle. Um, I'm really fond of Clash uh, in Justice League Unlimited, which to me is like how I love to see Captain Marvel written. I mean, he's such a pure-hearted character that even Superman uh, looks bad compared to him. And, uh, and For the Man Who Has Everything may be the best adaptation of an Alan Moore story that I've ever seen. Um, I keep seeing calls uh, on Twitter for Justice League to come back, uh, including by the voice actors who worked on the show before. And the show uh, has a very, very strong fan following, and I think for very good reason. Um, and, and speaking of Captain Marvel, uh, Justice League Action is another show which I think did pretty well by him as part of the league, at least from what I've seen. I haven't watched that much of it, uh, but the art style is quite good. Um, it does skew for the younger audience, um, but that's fine. I, I think it does respect uh, the League and, and, and all that. And, and also Captain Marvel and in, in that is a classic paragon in the episodes that I've seen. And, and that makes me happy as a fan of the Marvel. So um, the show does focus on the main leaguers as well, including Superman, Batman, and all of that. Uh, I, I think you can find it on uh, Amazon Prime, uh, but I don't think it's uh, for free viewing at the moment. Um, so beyond that, um, I want to talk about another one that I really, really adore, and that is uh, New Frontier. Uh, this is a all-time favorite comic of mine, and, it, and I love both the comic and the animated film that was based on it. And I think part of the reason it holds up so well as an adaptation is that uh, Darwin Cook, who wrote and drew it, was also involved in animation, and his art style was very consistent with the DCAU style. Um, and beyond that, it had a very 60s aesthetic. Uh, and I love the idea of an Elseworlds where you basically had the Silver Age uh, running in real time, um, you know, as opposed to like the illusion of change that we normally see. Um, and it's also a sto story that really respects the classic Silver Age heroes, um, especially uh, Hal Jordan, uh, the Barry Allen Flash, and the Martian Manhunter. Um, but I think it also handles the Trinity very well, and they all some really get some really good moments. You can tell that Darwin Cook loves Wonder Woman, for example. Um, but, but you can also see it almost as a prequel to the first issue of Justice League and their battle with Starro on the cover. Um, and in fact, uh, that battle is the last frame of the comic before it ends, which I really think is just absolutely the perfect note to end it on. Um, but I think the reason I love New Frontier above most DC comics or films is that Darwin Cook really understood the, height, the bright and hopeful nature of the DC universe while also making those characters human flawed and, uh, and, and enjoyable. I, I got to agree. Um, I, while I have not read the New Frontier comic, um, I do I do love uh, that animated film. Um, you mentioned the thing with Wonder Woman there. Um, uh, I, I love that uh, she she comes down off the table and she's taller than Superman. Yeah, that's you know? right. That was <laughs> that, Darwin's that, idea. Right, right. That one that one was really awesome, and I I really love uh, the internal. Uh, uh, struggle of Flash in that, with that uh, that self doubt and and overcoming mm -hmm. that in order to save the world and that whole yeah. that that was just awesome. Yeah. Um, but let's talk a little bit about uh, the new DCAU, uh, which was modeled after the New Fifty Two, and they were for the most part based on the Justice League comics. Uh, there were five Justice League movies in that universe. There was Justice League War, based on Justice League Volume One Origin, where Darkseid attempts to come to Earth for the first time, and the Justice League is formed to repel him. 
then there was uh, Justice League Throne of Atlantis based on uh, Justice League Volume 3 of the same title. Uh, this is a pretty fair adaptation of the Throne of Atlantis story, mixing elements from uh, Aquaman Volume 3 of the same name as well, which serves to allow it to be more of a standalone film. Um, and there was uh, Justice League versus Teen Titans, which is, in my opinion, more of a Teen Titans movie than a Justice League one. Uh, but the Justice League Dark uh, that followed that one was awesome. Uh, I talked a bit about it already in the comics discussion. Uh, but the final Justice League movie for the DCAU was Justice League Dark Apocalypse War, uh, where the leagues were amalgamated into one to fight off Darkseid's return. Uh, this movie was epic and like on an, anima an animated equivalent of like uh, the Avengers Infinity War in-game or, or Zack Snyder's uh, Justice League. I mean, it was it was epic. And, you know, speaking of uh, Jack Zack Snyder's Justice League, I believe you had some stuff you wanted to say about the film, Steve. Um, sure. Um, before that, though, I want to take a moment to mention one other uh, JL animated film, and that is Justice League Doom. Um, it was the last story, I think, that was credited to Dwayne McDuffie. If it wasn't that one, it was All-Star Superman. Um, and I really, really respect Dwayne McDuffie. He was very much involved in the uh, JLA uh, animated series for a long time. Uh, and he did a lot of work in comics. Um, it, it, and, and, and actually, this movie was dedicated to McDuffie um, after his death. It, this one Now, Doom was very loosely, though, it was based on uh, Mark Wade's uh, Tower of Babel story. Um, it, although it featured uh, the New 52 team and John. Um, so it, it changed like the like various things. It changed uh, the villains and aspects of the story. Um, it brought in uh, a version of the Legion of Doom by uh, Vandal Savage, led by Vandal Savage. And um, I, I, although I prefer Ration, the role of the villain of that story, I think it does work reasonably well with Vandal. So it, um, it kept all of those things, but it also kept the core idea that really mattered, which is the idea of Batman's contingency plans uh, against the JLA being stolen by villains. Um, it is a really enjoyable film, and I would say that it's a really nice way uh, to end a career as illustrious as McDuffie's. Um, that guy is just awesome. Um, now, as far as Zack Snyder's Justice League, which was your question, um, I don't think that there's any question that it was a noticeable improvement over the Whedon cut. Um, I, I don't, I mean, you'd have to really, really hate Zack Snyder to not think that. Um, I will say that I enjoyed the about the middle to last two hours of the movie, like two and a half, maybe. Um, although I would say that the Snyder cut uh, does take its time getting to the high point sometimes. Um, there are some points I'm not crazy about um, whether when it comes to Snyder's style and these things, but I think it's just like a stylistic issue I may have with it. Um, and there were things I didn't really like about Wonder Woman's portrayal, uh, particularly like being decapitated by Steppenwolf and, and whatnot. Uh, that's just not how I see the character. Um, and I will say that the music in the slow motion tends to get a little too over the top at times. Um, although I will give a pass to the flash scenes on that for obvious reasons. I mean, he should be in slow motion. Um, but um, I, I like the Snyder cut of the best of the Snyderverse films. I mean, I will give it, absolutely give it that. There is no question that Cyborg um, uh, and, and Ezra Miller's Flash, uh, the latter which I never much liked, uh, especially not in the Whedon cut, um, are much improved in this version. And scenes I, that I thought were choppy and didn't quite work before work much better now. So, you know, I, I, I chops to, to props to Snyder on that. Um, I will, to be fair to Whedon, though, I will say that I like the Superman Flash race at the end of the movie in his version. And I think I enjoyed the take on the Wonder Woman hostage scene a little bit more because it was maybe a little less murderous uh, and less uh, slow-mo with lame, less layman's. Uh, totally, totally. I mean, Zack Snyder's Justice League is definitely a, a far superior film to Justice League despite its length. Um, and while we're on the discussion of length, I, I think it was on par with Avengers Infinity War and Endgame. Imagine if those two films uh, would have been released as one. Uh, there was just too much story to put into just one film without making it five hours and 42 minutes, which is how long it would have been, by the way. So they broke it into two films. Um, Zack Snyder's Justice League was epic and grand like the Avengers film, but managed to do it in four hours and two minutes. Um, when looked at from that perspective, uh, I, don't, I don't consider it to be that long. 
Yeah, true. Um, I, I'm not one of those people who gets too hassled about length. If the time is well used and the content justifies the length, nobody complains, as far as I'm aware, about the Lord of the Rings extended versions being ridiculously long. And they're like, all of these are over like three hours and a half to like three hours, 45 minutes a piece. Um, but the thing is, is that those movies reward your time. And, and so, you know, you, you don't mind that it's that long. Um, I think the Snyder Cut, for the most part, uh, could have done a little better, but I'm not overly bothered by the length itself. Um, I just could have done without the Nordic singing and the Amazon laments, but that's not a huge amount of time. I, I think that the meat of the story definitely does justify its time, though, and I can't take away anything from Snyder on that. I, I can understand that uh, Zack Snyder's films in general are, are great, but they are an acquired taste. Uh, I personally love all the subtle details he puts into his films, uh, especially in the case of the Snyderverse movies. Um, they, they are, they're in the films to such an extent, these subtle details that even with many viewings, I, I, I don't think I've caught, I don't think I've caught them all, especially in Batman versus Superman. Uh, there's so many little things like you got to read this tiny little bit of writing to understand why this other scene works, that kind of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> um, the, the cyborg and the new flash seg segments were awesome. And I have to agree that uh, actually I liked both of them uh, more now. Um, I was kind of on the fence with the characters in, in the original Justice League story. Um, I also have to agree about the Superman Flash race scene. Uh, while I don't think it would have fit the tone in Zack's film, it was a great scene. Um, I think the thing I was most impressed actually uh, was by the fights with Steppenwolf. Um, they were turned up to 11 in many areas. Uh, I also liked the removal of the awkward Flash Wonder Woman scene that was forced on Godot and um, Miller by Whedon. Uh, the, the scene was not funny and, and took away from the magnitude of the moment. Yeah, in, in fairness to Wien, I, I don't think anybody could have made a good film under the conditions he made this film in. I mean, WB really, uh, I would say, is largely responsible for the butchering. But I, I agree that he does have a problem with trying to make everything funny when it shouldn't, uh, sometimes at the most inappropriate moments. Uh, and this scene would definitely was one of them. Um, that sort of scene absolutely deserved to be cut. I agree, and, and no question there. Um, there's nothing that it adds, and I think it, it detracts more than anything. Um, and I will say, I like a lighter Justice League in general. I mean, like, you know, New Frontier is like my thing, but that was not the movie that Snyder was making, and there's just no way to make uh, such a tonal shift work without the kind of mess that we got. Well, that about covers our Justice League discussion. Um, thanks for joining us as we celebrate this groundbreaking team for some of the best characters known in fiction. Uh, let me leave you with these parting words. Uh, justice for all. Unite the League. You can't save the I hope you've had fun hanging out with us today on ORP. I know that Steve and I have had fun making this episode. If you've had fun too, we invite you to share this episode and help us get the word out. For our Spotify listeners, we ask you to please rate our show as well. That can really help to grow our audience. But to all our listeners everywhere, we want to say thank you for listening, and we'll see you in two weeks.